Today we are pleased to be speaking to Emily Meadows, an LGBTQI plus consultant for international schools. Emily provides educational training, personalised consultation and policy procedure reviews relevant to LGBTQI plus equity and belonging. Um, welcome, Emily. We're so pleased to be speaking to you today. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. Um, so we want to jump straight in and ask you, um, can you talk us through, this is quite an interesting role, can you talk us through how you would typically support an international school? Yeah, um, absolutely. So the ultimate goal of all of my projects is safety, equity and belonging for LGBTQ people. And I specialize uh, in the international school context. So I work with international schools and related organizations toward this goal. But the way that it looks is really bespoke for each client uh, because the way that the school context um, influences the work, the goals, the specific goals of the school itself and a range of other variables uh, help us to to really tailor it to what the school needs and what the school wants out of the collaboration. But the main ways that I support schools are um, through training. So I do a lot of workshops and trainings for faculty, staff, uh, leadership, mm -hmm. counseling teams, governance and boards, and even students, and their families. So I work with a range of different constituency groups um, to really meet them where they're at and to address this work uh, with their particular role in mind. I also do, as you mentioned, uh, policy reviews mm -hmm. and um, this is really important to institutionalize and to build those rights and protections at the school for LGBTQ people, and also to protect the school because um, without a firm policy or strong guidelines, uh, there's a lot of decision-making left to the hands of individuals. Mm. And that can be a bit scary uh, when folks haven't had the training maybe or the background to do this in a way that they feel confident um, will best be best for the student. And then the last way that I support schools is basically an individual case consultations. So a school will call me and say, we've got a case, we've got a student, or we've got something happened um, that we'd like to talk to you about, or maybe we're planning an event or something like that. So those are the three main ways that I support schools and we build those up and layer those together. Um, usually over the course of about mm, two years, depending on the project, mm -hmm. to really um, build a robust program so everyone feels that they have the, the knowledge and skills to do this work well. Yeah, and um, that was a really interesting point that you made about um, working then with schools so that they have that policy in place so that it's not left to individuals then to try to do the right thing or work out what the right thing to do is and, and they're left floundering or they might be doing something that actually isn't going to best support the students. Exactly. So um, I work with incredible educators from around the world with, you know, huge experience in their backgrounds with um, all the dedication in the world and all of the best intentions in the world. And many of them 
just didn't get this training. It's not standard. Um, yeah. Even in, you know, doctoral level programs or master's level programs, it is not standard. So a lot of people um, feel really, are, are really excellent in their craft. And this is a missing piece. So yeah. the other part is that, you know, that this is a theme which has been given more attention in the media and and quite frankly in the social media mm-hmm. in the past couple of years and so a lot of people have more opinions about it than ever before and when you've got essentially as many opinions as you have community members you really want to feel that the decisions that you make can be backed by research and that you're not sort of bending to someone's personal preference yes. so a policy that is backed by research that tells us this is what we know is best for children's safety, health, and well-being is going to be um, a relief, I think, and a protection, not just for the children, but for the school itself. Absolutely. That leads us quite nicely then into my my next question, because I wanted to ask you about um, what advice could you give to educators who might be struggling to support LGBTQI plus students um, due to misconceptions, um, potentially from other colleagues or from parents? Uh, um, Well, I would say one thing first and foremost. Um, We know, again, from research that for young people, young LGBTQ people, even having just one supportive adult in their life. It doesn't have to be a parent. Um, It can absolutely be a teacher. Mm -hmm. One supportive adult in their life can be, I can have a profound impact on that child's well-being. And we can even see the impact on such um, important outcomes as depression, anxiety, and even suicidality and Mm self-harm, having that one supportive adult. So speaking to those educators who might be thinking, well, none of my colleagues are on board with me here. Uh, If you are that one adult, you are still making um, a valuable impact. So please don't don't give up. Um, But in terms of speaking with, you know, if you're wanting to do more and to do sort of advocacy work beyond just your, your own personal practice, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a lot of fear swirling around LGBTQ matters, and especially when it comes to children, because let's face it, you know, I'm a parent myself. I know that when we send our little ones off to school, we are sending our heart and soul <laughs> into those in onto that campus, and we want um, nothing but the absolute best for our child. And so when we are faced with myths, and especially fear mongering um, swirling around on social media or in our WhatsApp groups or wherever it may be coming from, it's pretty normal. I think it's understandable to think, wait, hang on a second. I'm not sure if I, this is the right thing for my child. So one of the things that I do with schools is just to acknowledge, like, here are some of the myths Mm-hmm. Um, here are some of the, the, you know, the fears that folks might be worried about. Let's be transparent about what it is that we're actually doing as a school. And what do we know from the research are the impacts of these initiatives. And so we can meet those 
um, fears head on and hopefully dispel some of that, those myths so that people understand what we're actually trying to do and how it benefits any child. It's not just for LGBTQ people and it's not at the expense of cisgender, heterosexual or or straight kids. building a world where, and building schools, which is where I start, um, where every child feels safe and that they belong, benefits all of us. Yes. So uh, that's, a that's you know, it, it's a bigger, it's a bigger answer than that. Of course, you want to approach it from lots of different lenses, but that's, those are a couple of tips for the, the uh, teachers out there wanting to go above and beyond. Yes. Um, I wanted to, to ask you also about, crucially work in international schools are there other effective strategies that you use to navigate potential cultural or religious barriers um, involving parents when it comes to discussions with LGBTQI identity? Sure Um, cultural and religious barriers well I have to tell you there is no culture that I know of in the world that is fully affirming of LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. So we often have this, um, I think in the West, people often have a a concept that certain cultures, not us, are somehow uh, less open or less accepting. And and I know that's not what you're specifically implying, but but I've seen I've seen discrimination and anti-LGBTQ bias virtually everywhere in the world. So um, I certainly wouldn't point fingers, and I know that's not what you're doing either. But I wouldn't point fingers at any specific culture or religion. Um, I think what I'm interested in is thinking about how we specifically, as international schools, which do have the beautiful benefit of welcoming families from all around the world with lots of different backgrounds. Yeah. What can we, we, we will never agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of our diversity. But some of the things that I think we can agree on are human rights. So I'll often look at sort of international human rights and specifically those for children. Um, United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, for example, which was ratified by almost every country on earth um, from representing a lot of different cultures and and religions, um, offers for children the right to Mm non-discrimination. And so I think we can say, within your home, you will have your religious beliefs, your cultural beliefs, and at this school, every child will be valued and affirmed and has the right to safety and non-discrimination. So that's that's one way to think about it. Um, and, you know, one approach, but but also, you know, it combined with, with a range of things, but that's one, yeah. one angle. Um, that's a really good insight. You're right. Everybody, you know, everybody is coming into an international school with different, um, potentially different beliefs, uh, uh, different cultures, different uh, ways of being at home. And that's what makes it such an, an incredible learning environment and really can make um, a really valuable learning experience for those students. Um, but you're right. I think that idea of whilst we're here and we're at school, we understand that we respect each other's rights is is, um, is a really good way of kind of putting it. 
And that that leads me quite nicely onto I wanted to ask you then about potentially some success stories that you've had then whilst working in in international schools. And um, can you tell us how you've gone in and and really kind of changed and and for the better your um the policy that they have there or what they're doing there at the time? Yes, and I'm just thinking out loud here about protecting the privacy of my clients. But yes. um, I think what I can share is. I've worked with an, a range of schools where um, that are located in countries where LGBTQ people are criminalized. Mm. So within the legal system, there are some boundaries um, and barriers. And uh, however, we know that LGBTQ people exist everywhere and LGBTQ children exist everywhere and aren't necessarily going to suppress their identity because of a particular law in the country where they are residing. Mm -hmm. um, so these children deserve protection and belonging just as much as anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so what, um, what we've managed to do in some of these schools is to think about LGBTQ rights under the umbrella of child safeguarding. Mm -hmm. So, um, we have quite a robust body of research now, which unfortunately shows us that LGBTQ children are much more likely than their cisgender, heterosexual, or their straight peers to experience a number of negative outcomes, mm -hmm. um, such as I mentioned earlier, anxiety, depression, suicidality. We also see um, higher rates of substance use and um, disordered eating and um, re lowered school performance, to name a few. And this is not sort of one study in one location, but this has been shown really over quite a long period of time in, in a range of different locations. Mm. And with that in mind, we can think about what the responsibility is of a school to address these risks, knowing that they exist. Yeah. The good news is we know why the risks exist. It has nothing inherently to do with the child or their identity, but it's related to the amount of bias or discrimination or marginalization that they face. And we can see a really cool connection in the research as well, where when there are actions taken to reduce that marginalization, that discrimination, we also see those risks, the, the risk levels come down. Yeah, It's really nice um, way to think about it as, as a way of just keeping kids safe. Yeah, so We don't have to agree or disagree about who they are to say you deserve safety on campus. Mm -hmm. um, so reducing discrimination, reducing hate speech, reducing um, something called identity-based harm, so targeting people on the basis of their identity, all of those things can be done virtually anywhere yeah. in the world, regardless of um, the criminal code. And the idea being that every child deserves safety on campus. And in fact, I'm happy to share with you, um, to put maybe in the show notes, some yeah. language that I co-authored with um, a colleague, Elisa Pereras, who does anti-racism work for international schools. Mm -hmm. And it's some safeguarding language, a template of sorts that schools are welcome to literally copy and paste and insert into their child safeguarding policies 
to um, protect kids on the basis of identity. And this is across all identity groups. So I'm happy to share that with you and maybe pop that in the show notes so that schools can have access to that as a starting point if this is something yeah. that's that they, they wanna take on. That would be fantastic, yes, please. Um, I think that lots of schools would um, would jump at the chance to, to do that, to kind of have that nice and explicit language included then in their safeguarding policy. And as you said, it's about keeping children safe. It's not about beliefs. It's about what can we do to make sure that children are in a safe environment where they can thrive and they can learn. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um, how can schools then ensure that um, their inclusive policies remain effective when and, and responsive evolving through time? You know, thinking mm-hmm. about five years down the line, how can we make sure that we're continuously trying to support students? That's a great question because um, diversity, equity, belonging work has become more mainstream uh, in international schools. And, you know, I think it's great that there is now more of an expectation that schools integrate this into their work. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sometimes that expectation leads to schools doing it in a way which is, I'd say, more performative mm-hmm. than really effective. And so, you know, they'll do one workshop and think, well, we did our LGBTQ thing or there are, you know, yeah. they'll have a pride week and then they're done. Um, so we, I, I, I really like the way you're thinking about how to make sure this is effective over the long term. Mm-hmm. There's a number of different ways. Um, one is with the policies, for example, we always want to set a review date so that you're coming back to it, looking at, is this effective? What new research has emerged that we can use to inform our policies and make them even more stronger and more effective? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also thinking about who are we accountable to at the end of the day? So uh, not to put the burden on the LGBTQ people in your community to sort of always be uh checking up and and you know taking that temperature but when i go to a school or an organization those are the people at the end of the day whose um outcomes matter the most to me as a result of our work together so if they are saying i still feel very unsafe here or if they are saying you know we still need to to do more work in this area um, that's another really valuable piece of data to help inform what are the next steps that we should be taking uh, to really build this out. The last thing I will say is that it's it can be helpful because this this is a big, you know, this is a systems shift. It's it's not something that is done overnight and it's not something that can um, sort of be gauged by one simple questionnaire, but there are frameworks available um, that schools can use to kind of do almost like a self audit mm-hmm. and to look at what they have and what they don't yet have in place. And so a, a revision of, of something like that every year or so would also be a nice way to ensure progress rather than just performance. Yeah. That review, going back, checking, absolutely so important. I finally wanted to ask you as well about um, work that you have done and potentially success stories as well, so so other schools can learn more about how you've worked as well with students in schools. 
Yes. Um, so I tend to, my background is actually as a school counselor. Before going into private practice, I worked in international schools as a school counselor for many years. And so I still take this sort of systems-wide approach where I'm thinking about every aspect of that student's day, all of the different ways that they are running into either supports or barriers to their sense of safety and belonging. Um, and so because so much of that is shaped by faculty and staff, I do tend to want to ensure that faculty and staff are there to support because when I leave, mm -hmm. I want that to maintain, you know, to maintain that structure on the ground. So, um, but I'm, I work with student groups. I'm really um, interested in working with student groups that are also uh, either LGBTQ student groups specifically or um, diversity, equity, belonging themed student mm -hmm. groups to support and validate the work and the investment that they have put in. Um, and so I'm very interested in hearing their voices and sharing with them sort of what we know about the value of student groups mm -hmm. on campus and um, standing beside or even behind them in their efforts mm -hmm. uh, because students do have many amazing ideas and they know more than me yeah. what it feels like to be an LGBTQ child on that campus. Yeah. Um, so I will often work alongside the GSA, Genders and Sexualities Alliance, to, to support whatever it is that they are interested in at that time. Oh, wonderful. Um, it's been fantastic to hear about your experience and and the amazing work that you are doing. Um, so uh, our members can learn more about you through your website. So that's www.emilymeadows.org. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Emily. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about this. And um, I hope that our users will find this um, as interesting as I have. I hope so too, Claire. Thank you for inviting me. It's a delight to talk to you and thank you for your interest in LGBTQ safety, equity and belonging in our schools. Thanks, Emily.